We are in the letters of John, working through uh, what he wrote to his communities. And as a result, we can make application for us today in our communities. Because there's nothing new under the sun, isn't that right? Now, it's fascinating in the letters of John that he addresses the issue of Antichrist. Think about this for a minute. More books have been written about the Antichrist than, you know, most other persons. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but man, it's just like unending. You know, I was asked one time, how many times is the word Antichrist found in the book of Revelation? Yeah, I thought about that. I thought, man, probably plenty, right? You know how many times? Zero. The word Antichrist is not found in the book of Revelation. Now, I think that speaks volumes when you think about it, right? Never once. John, on the other hand, he has a lot to say about the Antichrist. In fact, his perspective informs us today. Of course, there's one final consummate Antichrist, but for John, his emphasis is all of the little Antichrists around us. So we're going to look at this issue of Antichrist and the Antichrists among us today and how we're to relate in light of that. So let's look. Antichrist. What is it? Who is it? Where is it? When is it? A lot of questions surrounding this. 1 John chapter 1, 18-24. By the way, the word Antichrist is only found five times in the Apostolic Scriptures. Five times. And guess what? They're all in John. That's why I find John's letter so fascinating and his perspective so fascinating. So we'll look at those five different uh, times that it's found. First John chapter 1, 18 through 24, John says, Children, it is the last hour. Keep in mind when John says children, he's talking about us as the children of God. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where you have the children, the offspring of the woman, and also the offspring of the serpent. The struggle between good and evil and the struggle between their offspring, us being the offspring of good, and the children of the devil or the serpent, the offspring of evil. This is the climatic clash throughout throughout the ages that's taking place on earth, as it is in heaven, by the way. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist, singular, that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have appeared, past tense. Don't you find that, like, fascinating? He says, yeah, the Antichrist is going to come, but many Antichrists have already come. For this we know, that it is the last hour. So there's many lesser ones, many smaller antichrists, if you will. Yes, one final consummate one, but for John, he's focused on all the little antichrists that have already appeared, even in his own communities. There are many today, just like there were back then. And their rise is an indication of more persecution, conflicts, and social unrest. 1 John chapter 1, 19-20. They, the Antichrists, they went out from us, 
But they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. The issue of Antichrist is about lies and deceptions. The spirit of Antichrist is embedded and flourishes in lies and deception. John says, you know the truth, and you also know that there's no lie in the truth. You see, truth is paramount to life and blessing. It's in truth that life and blessing prospers and flourishes. Lies are paramount for curses, misery, and death to exist and flourish. Truth. Here's the truth. God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. That was a truth, right? He gave them a truth. Our job is to decide whether we're going to embrace the truth or the lie. That's true of all of us in every generation. Life exists in the truth. Blessing exists in the truth. Misery and death in the lie. And what happened, right? The serpent came along to the woman and said, You surely won't die. For God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him, knowing good from evil. That was the lie. They had a choice to make. Embrace the truth or embrace the lie. And we know what they did, right? They rejected the truth and they embraced the lie. And here we are today with all of the chaos and misery growing around us like we've seen in every generation because some embrace the lie while others embrace the truth. And you can always see the people that are embracing the truth. In them you see peace and stability and maturity and blessing. And those that embrace the lie, just chaos. Everything's turned upside down. It's backwards. It's, it's just whack-a-ville, right? So truth matters. It fosters life and engages the blessing. And the lie will always produce curses, misery, and death. 1 John 1.22. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Let's keep that slide up for a moment. This is the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. You see, the one who denies the Father and the Son is of the spirit of Antichrist. Now, I want to be careful here. It's not talking about unbelievers in their ignorance. It's talking about those who were introduced to Jesus, understood who he was, and rejected him. It's talking about those that are informed and yet choose to reject him. John makes the case, those are the antichrists. So again, are there antichrists today? Absolutely. There's many. Even in our communities from time to time, 
We've seen that even in the harvest over the years, where people have come in, and yet they've understood who Jesus was, but denied him, opting for a rabbinic form of Judaism and going that route and ending up later denying him. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And that's a very troubling spirit for any and all communities. This is where the Antichrist dwells, in this soil of the rejection of Jesus and his work on the cross. Now, John says more about them in chapter 4. And so we're going to jump into chapter 4. He's going to begin with false prophets, and then he's going to end up with the Antichrists. So let's begin in 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 1. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Yeah, like there's many antichrists, there's many false prophets. And prophecy is an interesting subject, and it's, it's really kind of like... Um, I don't know, just almost um, esoteric when you encounter people who kind of speak, thus saith the Lord, and they have prophetic utterances. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's drawing. It lures us in, so to speak. And when it's legitimate, it's powerful. It brings life. But when it's false, it brings confusion and ultimately misery, right? So Paul says, hey, or uh, John says, be, be leery of the false prophets. Well, how would you know a false prophet, right? How would you know who they are? He says, test the spirits. See, our job is to test those who come and give us prophetic words. We're not, we're not simply to embrace a prophetic word because someone said, thus saith the Lord. I've had people do that to me for years and years and years. They've come up and given me a thus saith the Lord. And I'm, not, I'm never impressed with that phraseology. It never impresses me. Sometimes it's a red flag. You know, really? You're that confident? You know, if they came up and said, I sense the Lord is saying this, that's different. But when they come up with a, thus saith the Lord, and they, they're all authoritative and they got their King James, you know, vernacular on, I'm thinking, you know, that's just kind of a red flag to me. You can say, thus saith the Lord till you're blue in the face. I'm going to take every word you give me and I'm going to test it. And if it's of God, I'm going to run with it and thank you. And if it's not, I'm going to thank you and ignore it. Or at least shelf it and pray about it, but I'm not going to embrace it just because you said, thus saith the Lord. John says, test every spirit, whether they're from God. So how do we test? Well, we're told in Deuteronomy. That's where we're first given this framework of testing. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign and or a wonder. So if someone comes along, says they're a prophet, and they can actually do some stuff, they actually like, like have prophesied and things come to pass, or they demonstrate through a prophetic action some supernatural you know, miracle or wonder. If they give you a sign or a wonder, and it comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let's go after other gods whom we have not known and let us serve them. Now, real quick, the way that that's written, obviously false prophets don't say, let's go after other gods. It's far more subtle than that. Moses breaks that down for us. In fact, let's look at it. Deuteronomy 13.3. 
you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. I need to point out to you, dreams are more popular than even words. You know, people have dreams all the time, and they have elaborate dreams, and the dreams mean all kinds of things, and, you know, it ends up being something sometimes that's even more uh, um, sophisticated than just a prophetic word. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. That implies that God sent the person. See, see what that suggests is God sent the false prophet to you. Why? Because he wants to see if you're going to stay faithful to his ways or simply give it up for the supernatural. It's a test. Do you love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul? Verse 4, you shall not, or I'm sorry, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him and shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, cling to him. I had a friend, an associate for years, and uh, we took some prophetic uh, courses through another denomination uh, down in Colorado Springs, and very, very, I mean, solid courses, but, but the leadership was a little bit off track. And the leader ended up prophesying my colleague, who was part of our leadership team, out of our church and into his. And I was trying to tell him, you know, actually that doesn't work, and he's violating his own policies in his own courses, you know? In fact, the word I think is true, but its application isn't. What he's saying is true about who you are and the gifts that you have, but that's going to be actualized right here in the harvest. He's trying to pull you out and make a promise he's going to make good on it in his organization, which was a lot larger than the harvest. We brought that to our leadership team, our elders. They looked at that word too. They said the same thing. Yeah, this is a true word, but, but the locale is not true. It's not going to be there. It's going to be right here. He ignored his own delegated authorities, joined that group, and that group in about a year and a half just blew up. Doesn't exist anymore. But in the course of that next year and a half, he told my friend, you know, I know you're a Sabbath keeper. I know your father is a Sabbath keeper. I know your father-in-law is a Sabbath keeper, that you got Sabbath keepers on both sides in both family groups. But I'm telling you right now, we're under grace, and that's no longer applicable. My friend says, well, you know what? I, I, I believe it is. He says, well, let me give you a word. The word of the Lord is this. In due season, you'll see the light, and you'll be free of that too. Guess what? He gave all that up too. Gave that all up because there was a lot of signs and wonders, and you know, how do you argue with that? And It's got to be God, and so went and he gave that up too. I thought about this over and over and over. I'm thinking, man, God brings people like that to us to seduce us away from his ways through the supernatural. And it's a test to see whether or not we're going to stay faithful. This is the spirit of the false prophets, which is related to the spirit of Antichrist. Verse 5, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, 
because he canceled rebellion. His words were true. The supernatural signs and wonders were true. But what he counseled you was rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Verse 5, to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. The way, that's code for the Torah, the way of life that he gave them. And these false prophets always seduce you away from these ancient paths wherein the blessings dwell. So Moses said, stone them, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Let me give you some additional metrics for identifying false prophets. This is later developed in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my disciples. Why? Because we're talking about the prophetic. And the prophet here is saying, bind up the testimony, seal the law. We call that the canon, by the way. Okay? It becomes the word of the Lord. It transcends everything, and it's through that that we're going to judge the supernatural. When they say to you, consult the mediums, mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Verse 20 to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no dawn. Dawn, a revelation or a uh, metaphor or a figure of speech for uh, light. That's when the sun rises. We call that dawn. The light becomes visible, right? What he's saying is, if they don't speak according to the law and the testimony, it's because they have no revelation. They have no light in them. Their light is not light, but darkness. Their powers come from the other side. I remember some Mormon uh, gals came and visited me at my house about a year ago. It was last summer. I was out painting on my patio. And can we talk to you? You know, we're from the Latter-day Saints. I said, sure, come on up. They sat down. I kept working. And so they told me all about... Uh, Joseph Smith and the Golden Tablets and the Book of Mormon asked me if I was familiar with the Book of Mormon. I said, sure, I got one in my library. I have a Book of Mormon. They said, no, really, have you read it? I said, yeah, I've read the Book of Mormon and, and yeah, fascinating. It's just fascinating. They said, well, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I think it's an interesting book. I said, um, I don't think it's inspired. I don't think it's the Bible. I said, in fact, our tradition embraces the Bible and the Bible alone as the Word of God. And it's through that that we judge all things. They said, well, you know, would you be willing just to pray and ask the Father for a witness as to whether or not the Book of Mormon is true? Just pray. We don't have, all you have to do is just say, Father, show me if it's true or not. And we'll just leave, leave that up to him. You know, but would you at least pray that? I said, oh, absolutely not. And they like, what? You wouldn't even, pr- what? You're not even open? I said, no, I am open but I'm open to the truth and I already have the truth. And the truth says that if anyone comes with another Jesus or another testimony, another Bible, another revelation, and it doesn't line up with the Bible, that's God testing me 
to see whether or not I'm going to stay faithful to him. So I don't even need to pray that prayer. I already know and have passed the test. Thank you. They said, well, how, how is it different than the Bible? I said, well, for instance, the Lord has called us to keep the Sabbath holy, to observe and keep it week in and week out. So you know what day of the Sabbath is? They said, yeah. I said, what day do you go on? They said, well, the revelation we've gotten from our Bible is Sunday. I said, thank you very much. That's why I don't even need to pray that prayer. People, every supernatural thing, every prophetic word, all this phenomenon, it's neither good nor bad. It just needs to be brought to the word of God and tested. Keep the good and dispatch the bad. Stay true to God. His word transcends everything. Because it's a closed canon, it automatically eliminates the Book of Mormon. It automatically eliminates the Islamic writings. All the other sacred writings are already eliminated. Because we have the Word of God already given to us, we're safeguarded from being led astray by false prophets. John now shifts and begins to address the issue of the spirit of Antichrist. Verses 2 and 3 of 1 John chapter 4. By this we know, or I'm sorry, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming. And now it is already in the world been here for 2,000 years. It's all around us. We all know people who say, yeah, I know who Jesus is, and I know the claims that he has made about himself, but I just don't believe that those claims are true. You know, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. Yeah, that's the spirit of Antichrist. It's very, very deceptive. And they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not ignorant. There's a lot of wisdom on that side, and it's easy to fall into that. You've got to remind yourself over and over and over, that's the spirit of Antichrist, that every one of us is being led by a spirit. It's either the Holy Spirit or the unholy spirit, but we as human beings are being influenced around the globe by the spiritual realm that, that overlaps our realm. Our faith that Jesus is the Christ, that he came in flesh and blood, that he is fully human and fully God at the same time. This is our saving grace, and his word is our anchor. And as a result, we have become the children of God. Verse 4, you are from God, little children, and you have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You're greater than them. You're greater than them. How do you tell the children of God? How would you recognize a child of God? Simply by their confession of faith, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And number two, number two, they live in accordance with his teachings. That's how we know who the children of God are. 
Those that say, oh yeah, I'm a child of God, but they live contrary to his ways, they're liars and the truth is not in them. We've got to understand that we're wrapped up in this huge warfare that's been going on from the beginning. Last week I watched an interview of a Catholic priest who is one of, I think, 124 exorcists in the Catholic Church today in America, which is not a lot. In fact, they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed with a request for exorcism. They have over 30,000 requests right now for exorcisms and only 124 priests. I listened to him. He was fascinating. He talked all about exorcism from a biblical perspective, a historical perspective, and then a contemporary perspective. And one of the things that he was pointing out was not, not everyone who has a problem has a demon. And a lot of times mental illnesses are confused with demonization. And the last thing you want to do is try to do an exorcism for someone who has a mental illness. You'll just set them back. So they have criteria to help them determine whether a person is actually demonized. They have four of those. For instance, if a person speaks in languages that they've never learned before, indication it's not a mental illness, and there's a spirit that's enabling them with that type of information. Supernatural strength, you know? We've got some little lady that's picking up, you know, the kitchen stove, and she's going to throw it across the kitchen, you know? I mean, supernatural strength. That's an indication. It's not a mental illness, right? So, but, but it was fascinating to listen, and he went on to say, we're seeing a surge in demonizations, not only in America, but around the globe. That there's so much more darkness over this last, you know, 10, 15 years that the requests for help are just climbing, climbing, climbing. And then it reminded the audience, which I thought was very uh, important. He says, uh, we were not only called and given a mandate to share the gospel, we're also supposed to bring healing to people. And not just healing, we're supposed to cast out demons. That presupposes that people are going to be struggling and tormented and need the assistance of the church. A work that only the church can do. Mental health professionals do not have the apparatus to identify and cast out demons. They're just going to give another pill or some other form of therapy. And that's not going to work either. It's us. We're the ones. And John says, you're the children of God. You have the truth. You've been given the resources. And you don't need to fear anything. Jesus said, nothing shall injure you. In the context of casting demons out of those that are tormented. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we have a work to do. John says, you've already overcome them. You know, we have this mentality of, of buy some Mormon biscuits and hide in a cave. The Antichrist is somewhere alive and ready to rise. You know, you know what our position should be? We should be like David and Goliath. We're, what? He's here? Show us. Where is he? Let's go run out and engage him and throw a stone between his eyes. Right? We're not going to run and hide. We've already overcome. We're in this for the long haul, and we're going to be triumphant. And yes, there's casualties in this war. That's okay. In the end, we shall live again. We shall live forever, for we have already overcome them. 
First John chapter 4, 5 and 6. They, the Antichrists, plural, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Righteousness and unrighteousness. Light and darkness. Good and evil. It's all around us. It's always been all around us. It's going to be around us till the very end when Jesus returns. Remember the field, the parable of the wheat field that Jesus shares? In the night, someone sneaks in and sows a bunch of weeds, a bunch of seeds for weeds. So he wakes up the next morning, the, uh, morning and his servants come and, and tells the um, landowner, the farmer, there's weeds in your wheat field. Do you want us to go dig them all up? He says, no, 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 no. If you do, you might dig up some wheat too. Just leave it. Let them grow together. And then in the end, you know, I'll take a sickle and I'll harvest all of it and we'll separate the weeds from the wheat. And the weeds will burn up. The wheat will take into the barn. It's a powerful, powerful parable that the sons of darkness, the antichrists, will be here among the children of God on this earth till the very end. We're always going to have conflict. We're going to have some wins and some losses. The Supreme Court just said life wins. We're going to give it back to the states, right? And so then now the states have to sort that out. But look at all the other stuff that we've lost also in that same week. And so there's this ebb and flow in this fight against good and evil. And we're called to be engaged in it as children of light, doing the work of the light of the world, preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus, forgiveness of our sins in him, reconciliation with the Father, life, you know, in us forever to be able to go out lay hands on the sick and bring healing to cast demons out of those that are tormented that's who we are that's what we do that's how we advance the kingdom of christ on earth as it is in heaven and the enemy yes he'll continue as well to fight with great vigor against us but that is what we're called to do be and engage in so don't be surprised about all the stuff that goes on all around us don't be dismayed don't be in fear you get your clock punched and you end up on your back get back up get back in the game it's not over you might lose a battle here and there but in the end you're going to win the war because christ in you is greater than the evil one so let's rise up, let's take our place, and let's help others around us do the same thing. Now, keep in mind that this is a war between truth and falsehood. The truth matters, and that's why there's such an attack on the truth. I'm going to skip slide 45. And I want to talk a little bit in my closing about what it means to be truth bearers. We're called to embrace the truth. 
We're called to live the truth and share the truth. In fact, we'll put up slide 49. This is our maxim in the harvest. Embrace truth, live it, share it with others. This is how we rule and reign with Messiah. We're called to humbly share the truth in all areas of influence. Whatever your areas of influence are, you're supposed to be the one who speaks the truth in humility, not in arrogance. You don't beat people up with it, but you engage them with the truth. All of us, all throughout the week, are in conversations with people. And it gets kind of crazy in terms of what people believe. Our job is to look for those openings and share the truth of the matter. This is what we're called to do. And the war against truth, it's raging like never before. The Antichrists, they're judgers. You ever notice how judgmental they are? Driven by hatred? How irrational they are in their arguments? I mean, just take a look at how they censor and silence and fire people from their jobs who speak the truth about the gain-of-function COVID virus. Boom. How many people have lost their jobs on that one, right? Mandated vaccines. Well, I'm not going to take one. Fired. Mandated masks. Well, I think that's silly. Fired. Mandated shutdowns. They've ruined our economy. We're having so many problems. And the fallout in terms of mental health and other social ills still coming and growing all around us. Just look at all those who have been judged, censored, silenced, and, and fired from their jobs for speaking the truth about sexual perversion that has permeated our culture through perverts who, who push their immorality and gender confusion on every one of us, including our children, right? Free speech and personal views be damned, screamed the perverts. Conformity and celebration of our views or we'll take away your rights. Wow, it's just crazy. But we'll speak the truth. We'll speak the truth because we're called to speak it even though we know it's going to bring oppression and persecution. Think about abortion. Careful with that one. A lot of people losing their jobs over that. So what do we do? We say, well, I'll just keep quiet. You can't. You're the light. Speak the light. If you're supposed to lose your job, you're going to lose it anyway. If God's saying you're not going to lose your job, the president himself couldn't take it away. So be God's person. Speak the truth. Do not sit idly by as we drift into darkness as a nation. Let's speak louder and louder and louder. We shall not be overcome, for truth lives in our congregations. No, we shall overcome our sins and grow into righteousness in all of our ways. His Spirit in us is shaping us and transforming us. We're not perfect. We're not even called to be perfect. We're just called to grow in the grace and knowledge given to us. We shall overcome our antichrist oppressors and persecutors by the life of Messiah in us and his truth. It's game on. It's game on. Reminds me of the battle hymn of the Republic. I love this chorus. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. You cannot stop the truth. Jesus is 
the truth. His word is truth. His commandments are truth. The Torah is truth. And no one's going to stop that. Either jump on and ride the victory wave or go hide and be overcome by the darkness. No, we will rise up. <coughs> and then finally, another way that we engage in this battle, how we rule and reign, is through politics. Oh, brother, here he goes, politics. You know, it reminds me of Rabbi uh, Lapid. He said, politics is the application of the Torah to civil life. Jews understand it. Jews are involved in politics. Evangelicals, they think that we shouldn't be, that it's sinful to be involved in politics. Actually, no. As a Torah community, we understand. We're to participate in politics. Why? Because we understand we are the gov government. We don't live under a monarchy. You are the king. You are the queen. We have these inalienable rights, and then we tell our representatives, secure our rights, and we're going to live our lives according to the laws of nature and nature's God. That's who we are as a nation. So we have to be involved in politics, bring truth to the areas of politics so that we get our people in who understand truth and the importance of truth and that will legislate truth, bringing peace and blessing and prosperity. Because if we sit back and do nothing, the children of darkness will be involved. They'll vote in their lawless representatives. They'll write laws that oppress and persecute us and our children. So we must be involved in politics as well. All right, that's it. Shabbat Shalom. I'm out of time.